Oh, yeah. Yeah, bud. Oh. <laughs> guys, we're having a time today. We are having a time. You know what, guys? Better or worse. We're having a day. Here we are. We are having a day. You know what? And you know what? Sometimes we get to have a day, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even, we're going to have fun while we're having a day, but we are... We are having a day. How's your day? Uh, my day was pretty good, actually. Sick. Yeah. Did it involve a bunch of strawberry juice? <laughs> it's we're about drink- to. Guys, we're it's drinking strawberry-flavored beer right now. That's not, why I'm talking I mean, about strawberry juice. Yeah, I guess it is. It said strawberry on the can, and that's all I latched onto. We decided point. to start a two white guys review craft beers podcast. Oh, God. That sounds, aren't you, aren't that you sounds miserable. <laughs> I'll make jokes about strawberry juice. I will not, absolutely not, uh, review craft beer on a block on a ghost block. <laughs> ghost beer. Ghost beer. <laughs> you want to talk about a lot some like air? You want to talk about some otherworldly visitors? Or, I, or it tastes like ecto cooler. Oh, remember that stuff? Yes. Now mm-hmm. that's on brand for us. Do you think we could get uh, ecto cooler to be rejuvenated in an orange format, and we could have it be what if orange? Does high C still exist? Was Ecto Cooler a high C product? I believe it was. Okay, I believe you. I don't. I think it was. I don't uh, remember Ghostbusters? Uh, oh, Ghost, that's gee. been a long time. I apologize. Oh, jeez, Rick. <laughs> oh boy, that burp had been in there for ages. Many moons. <laughs> many, many. <laughs> the strawberry juice will get you. Hi, guys. Welcome to the What It Podcast. We're in our finest form this week. Uh, it was a uh, Ghostbusters branded high C drink, mm. I believe. Yeah, had the uh, yep. the Krang looking guy on the on the box on you the juice are, box. You are absolutely correct. Uh, a cursory Google here is telling me that it was once sold in cans, which is a mm. sin. And uh, guys, welcome to our '90s nostalgia podcast. Two white guys talk about things from the '90s. Let's be frank, though, we are very capable of that one. We lived them at a very specific time period, wherein we uh, we ingested all of it. And because it happened to us, it means it's important, and other people want to hear about it. God damn it! I believe that's sort of the that's sort of the uh, entire crux of podcasting. That's how I go is through life, not? yeah, this shit is about me, bro. <laughs> we don't have any cool experiences, though. Mm, speak for yourself. Well, I mean, we don't have any cool experiences related to the topic of our show. No, you're right. I have lots of cool experiences as a human. I've been to Texas. <laughs> that would have been fucked up if I, I'd been like, I've done nothing cool in my entire life. I ran over an armadillo once in Texas. Well, that's not cool at all. That's <laughs> fucked up, bro. I wasn't trying to. Well, it sounded like you liked it. <laughs> it sounded like you were hype about I'm trying it. Trying to think about noteworthy things that I've done in Texas. I wasn't there for very long. That's not really noteworthy. That's just like a crime. That's just animal well, abuse. Shut the podcast down, man. I guess I have nothing noteworthy to say. I abused an animal in Texas once. <laughs> Award me. I will What's not. the statute of limitations on armadillo murder? <laughs> <laughs> Probably like 36 minutes. Okay, cool. <laughs> this this was it. more than that ago. It's like, ah, shit, there's a bunch more armadillos to replace that one. Um, when was the last time I was in Texas? Are you asking me? No, I was... I, <laughs> Dear Spencer. 2013? I drank it all away. When was the last... Uh, it would have been... You're actually really close. Ah, that's right. Oh, you... Fuck but, with me. That's because you know, though. Well, isn't that how you usually answer questions? Yes. <laughs> It, but it's the way you presented it. It sounded like you were guessing, but you were not. Well, I, guessing. I went there in 2012 for South by Southwest, and I was pretty sure you went the year after I did. 
I went the year after you did, and you knew that also because you mixed the record that we were playing in Texas. That, yeah. That year, which is actually on Boy. Spotify now, by the way. Boy. And working on it. Tight. Um, Spotify record having ass looking boy. Looking boy. Um, but that's the last time I was in Texas. So yeah, it would have been like six or seven years ago. And I never went to Lubbock. Lubbock. Mm. Lubbock. It's way the fuck over there. It's you in know, the part of the Texas that I don't think you go to if you're just going to Texas for one time. I think one of the one of the things that actually is pretty interesting and essential to the story is how remote Lubbock is. I'm going to try not to talk shit about other people's states tonight, though, because I caught a lot of heat for my opinions about my very poorly slash not at all informed opinions on Arizona. I've only week. driven through Arizona. I didn't support nor did I deny Spencer's Arizona takes. Look, Matt. I apologize. Good. That's what we needed. I got I got publicly in person shamed for my my thoughts on Phoenix last for night. For throwing shade at Phoenix? Mm-hmm. Damn. I know, man. I felt bad. Damn. Mm-hmm. That was must have been from a friend of the show then. Correct. That or you met another mailman on the street <laughs> who knows the show. Well, I mean that guy does walk past my house every day. I could probably find him. Shout out to that guy. <laughs> We're not going to name names. I'm just going to sit out front with my dog waiting for him to go by. Uh, might be a good time to say we have a Facebook group, and we get a lot of people that join the Facebook group, and we post memes and thoughts about episodes, and Spencer and I are in there bullshitting with people. It's the What If Podcast. Just search for it on Facebook. And uh, Spencer's dog is famous on the streets and met a mailman who recognized Spencer from his dog from the show. Correct. Which is just the most delightful piece of information we've had about the show in a while um the only dog dog pup date that is required from my end by the way is yeah dogs ghost blog yeah that boy big you guys he's been been gaining three and a half pounds a week we record obese we record two episodes of this show every week sometimes we record them in the same night sometimes we don't you're listening to the free one. There's a paid one that comes out on Fridays at patreon.com slash what podcast. You can get two episodes a week plus a back catalog of like 65 or 70 episodes of the show now. Uh, I come over here weekly and you had your dog for how many months? One. I've had him for one month today. That dog looks fucking huge every time I see it. And it's only ever seven days later that I see that fucking dog. And I'm like... Damn that boy big because that's actually how I feel every time I see it. Uh, one other pup date. I gave him a bath the you, other night. You got Clifford, bro. Clifford, your dog is going to so be as, as big as your house. So psyched. I'm riding, I'm riding him everywhere. Just grab one of the curls, man, mm-hmm. and just wrap it around your waist and you'll be fucking set. Gave him a bath the other night. He was <laughs> he was very into it. I'm sorry. I just had this vision of you in like a like a dog for a baby Bjorn, just like flopping. Yes, along that is my calling. Marcy, that is my calling. Running down South Minneapolis streets. Uh, he was very into the whole bath idea until it was time to rinse him off, and I turned on the the shower head, you know, and like yes. brought it down to rinse him off. Yes, that freaked him right the fuck out, and he hopped. I didn't think he was big enough, but as we as we've uh, established. <laughs> yeah, that, boy big. that boy big. Didn't you have he, to get him wet the, to begin things? Yeah, so I filled up the tub like halfway and then was sort of just like, oh, okay. you know, using my hands to to get him in the water. Got it. Uh, that wasn't going to work to rinse him off. Sure. I didn't think you could hop out of the tub. He did hop out of the tub <laughs> while totally wet and then ran laps around my living room. <laughs> you didn't shut the door to your bathroom while bathing your dog? I feel like that's got to be step number one, doesn't Look, it? Look, I'm learning. <laughs> okay. I'm new here. Dad, dog's ghost blog. 
Lesson next, number three. Next time, I will learn from my mistakes. That's cool. This time, I had some cleaning up to do. <laughs> this time, I walked a towel around my wood mm-hmm. floors to make sure mm-hmm. that they were not ruined. Yep. That's delightful. Uh-huh. Um, before we talk about Texas and UFOs. Yeah. And uh, otherworldly visitors, as you put it. Yes. I have a quick, is it trash? Okay. Are you going to ask me or are you going to tell me? I'm going to tell you, okay. unless you've also watched this thing. Uh, no, but I'm just saying I need to ask you whether or not it's trash. Oh, okay. Well, it's uh, a <laughs> what part. What is the thing? Part two of, was it the Patreon that we talked about us last week? Yes. Okay. So I gave a quick uh, review of, of us on the Patreon this past week. I watched the first episode of the new Jordan Peele narrated Ooh, Twilight Zone sick. series this morning. Sick. Um, it's only on CBS All Access. I know. I However, saw that. The full first episode without commercials is on YouTube. Okay, so you can watch it. You can watch the first episode for free without commercials on YouTube. Yep. And that's the only one that's out right now. Yep. Um, Ryan, do you have any questions for me at this point? About the show? Mm-hmm. No, I'm I'm ready. It's the point where you ask, is it trash? No, I'm ready. Okay. Is it trash? Um, no. First episode, I'd give it like a solid B. Okay. Stars Kamel Nanjiani. Yes. Co-stars Tracy Morgan. Yes. Narrated briefly by Jordan Peele. So like strong... Strong cast to begin with. Yeah, I heard he's going to be the. Um, what's he's the, the guy's Rod Sterling. Rod of, Sterling yeah. of this series. Rod Sterling. What a name. I think it was Serling? Serling? Sterling. I think, I think it was Serling. You're probably right. I don't know. You know more things than I do. Um, it's great. Yeah, it's good. It's good. And I and I have a feeling that the other episodes will probably be better. Yeah, it, it, Serling. Serling. Yeah. Um, it's very. It's like. A little darker than the original Twilight Zone. Mm. They cuss a lot more. Which oh, can they do that on All Access? Yeah, because it's not actually on. Cable. Well, it's not on CBS. It does. It's not broadcast anywhere. It's only on their streaming service. Huh. So it's like R rated. Yeah. Really. Yeah. I'm actually kind of surprised that they're like willing to do that because I would think that I mean because obviously the original Twilight. Uh, it was the fifties. It was totally clean. Yeah. Well, and also it ran on, it ran on normal TV because they didn't it's have the all there was, yeah. fucking internet. Yeah, um, but I'm surprised because I'm imagining they're obviously playing on some of the nostalgia of the original. So you would think that people are going to be, yeah, the people who watch the original are probably out of here though. Honestly, well, I mean it's it's definitely subsisted since people were watching right. it. Well, and there at was the time. there was that reboot in the 80s, 90s. Was there? <laughs> yeah. Well, who? What channel was that on? cable somewhere i think was it i don't know I, I watched a few of them as a kid okay but that was like episode for episode redoing them i don't this episode i don't recall i've seen all the original series i read an interesting interview with jordan where he said that they are referencing a lot of them but they're all going to be done differently so they're, they're not, not like going to actually like nothing will be a one for one okay so like there's one that's called uh like uh, fear at thirty thousand feet or something like is that, that. The gremlin which is on a, the wing one. It's a well, it's a play on something at twenty thousand feet. Twenty thousand leagues under the sea. No, those two are fucking dumb. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> I just said no. Um, no, we're not. 
Uh, I don't. I don't know that reference. I guess it's. But it, it's I just essentially, assumed if it was Twilight Zone and on an airplane, it's the Gremlin on the wing one. Yeah. No. It's. It's. It's something. It, all I'm trying to say <laughs> is, the names are plays on the originals, and they're taking slight deviations from the original storylines or plots it, while it, still it. borrowing elements from the original. So I'm excited to see it, man. I think that one that I just referenced actually has Adam Scott. So it seems like they've got a pretty great cast in it. They're doing. Yeah. Jordan, I would assume I, I didn't know Kumail or Tracy were in the first one, but they didn't hype really that up names. at all. Yeah, I don't. I, I'm actually su- very surprised they didn't they, because they those both, are really big names. And they both play uh, comics too, which is kind of fun. Oh, interesting. But they don't play themselves. No, okay. they play like versions of themselves. Is it? Um, is there lightness to it as well? You said it's darker. There wasn't any real humor in this first episode. Okay, so I mean, there wasn't really in the original, right? I guess it was, I'm... It was very like the one thing that I didn't really like. Well, two things I didn't really like about the original. Uh, it has not aged well, just in like a um, shots fired. Well, in, in a like cultural sense of like. It's all about white men, and it's very like of the fifties. I was gonna say in the fifties, it was like everything was made by white men for white men. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's definitely that. Yeah, and it's very like every every episode has like a pretty heavy handed message or like a lesson to to be taken away from it. In the original Twilight Zone, yeah, I don't think I knew that. I've only not watched every like episode, but a, a lot of them. You should, you should go back through them. They're on and off Netflix, depending on when you look. Got it. Um, this one didn't really have as much of that. Like, uh, what's what's the word I'm looking for? A lesson that you're supposed to take away from a story, a moral, I guess, or um, yeah, whatever. A moral. Um, didn't have that as much, or not as like ham-fistedly as the originals yeah um maybe a little bit darker um but otherwise the tone was pretty pretty similar okay shot really really well sure um pretty like i would guess pretty high production or pretty high budget i would assume yeah just based on like it looks great and they're getting huge name actors in it yeah no for sure and i and i'm I guess the only reason I asked about the comedy angle was because I'm like, if you have two those two people who are inherently extremely funny people, it would be an interesting choice to not use them for that. They've but, both done some pretty serious stuff too, though. That's true. Well, Kamel has. But I mean, the big sick wasn't even that. I mean, the big sick was funny as well. Sure. I don't know. Yeah. I'm curious. All right. I'll, I'll definitely watch it. He still has. It sounds stupid when you describe it, but he has. The hardest I've ever laughed at live stand-up was Kamel Nanjiani. What? That doesn't sound stupid at all. Um, it makes total sense No, the to me. bit that I was laughing that hard at <laughs> yes. is stupid. He uh, just replaced, he spent about five minutes just replacing one word from the name, from the title of TV's, TV shows, movies, books with the word horse. Cool. Cool. And I like could not see and could barely stay in my chair by the end of this five-minute riff. I, on, I was going to say... I feel like ten to fifteen examples deep in that you could get you could get pretty good. I'm not I'm not gonna try and recreate it. It's probably on the internet somewhere. It's incredible. Okay, we'll just shout out Kumail. Extraterrestrial visitors in Texas in the fifties. So this sounds is, sort of like a Twilight episode, Twilight Zone episode. Let's go. Nee, 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 nee. Don't get us sued. S- that was all I did. 
<laughs> it was less than seven seconds. <laughs> um, so this is sort of part two of our Project Blue Book conversation. It isn't, it isn't. We're talking about um, incidents that happened that were investigated by those uh managing or running or related to Project Blue Book. This but one actually also, was Project Blue Book. Yeah, but also Project Signs, but also Project... Grudge. Grudge, thank you. It was sign, plural, or singular, I believe. Sign, It was, and it was sign, grudge, then Blue Book, is that right? I think so. Okay, I think that's right. Um, or sign, Blue Book, grudge? I don't remember. No, because Blue Book was the last one. That was the Blue longest Book running longest, one. Okay, and yeah, it was yeah, canceled yeah. after right, that. You're right, you're right, you're right. Um, so yeah, so uh, we'll probably do more of these stories because there's a lot of good ones that happen in these years. A lot of them are just so, some of the classic UFO sightings too that you've probably heard of if you're like even remotely familiar with the topic. Yeah, but I'll be honest, the Lubbock Lights was something I had never heard of before. This but was a totally fresh one for me. You've probably heard elements of it, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I. Maybe I had, but like this whole story was new to me. Okay. So I was definitely um, intrigued by the newness of it. We're going to August 25th, 1951 in Lubbock, Texas, mm-hmm. which is in the like northwestern area of Texas. It is not close to, I mean, like Texas is obviously known for having three of the largest cities outside of uh, the large coastal cities. You know what they say about Texas? Yeah, <laughs> that boy big. We are. It's the only button I'm playing from we, now on for the rest we of- We are getting our money's worth out of that sound. however long this show runs, that's the only one you guys get now. Um, but Lubbock is, is nowhere near any of the three biggest cities in Texas. It's not- You're saying geographically or in, in terms of population? Geographically. Yeah. It's it's not near Dallas. It's not near Houston. It's the closest not near big San city is actually Albuquerque, New Mexico. Right. It's and about it, three hundred, two or three hundred miles east of Albuquerque. I was going to say, and it's hours away from Albuquerque as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's relatively speaking, it's in the middle of nowhere, but uh, it houses one important thing. Talking about the university, Texas Tech. Yeah. Currently, Texas Tech. At the time, it was not Texas Tech. It was Texas, Texas Technical College. Is that right? Technological College. Technological yeah. College. My yep. bad. So, on August 25th of 1951, at about 9 p.m., there were three professors from Texas Technological College sitting in one of their backyards, just sort of hanging out after work. And it was it was four, right? It was three the first time. Three the first time, but then four later? This The Lubbock Lights involves, like, dozens of sightings. Right. The As far as we can tell, what was the first one, I believe, was three people. Word. Um, they're sitting in one of the guys' backyards, and they see 20 to 30 lights fly over their house or their yard where they're sitting. They said they appeared about as bright as the stars, but much larger and much closer and the lights crossed their view of the sky in about three seconds. They were a bluish-green color, they said, mm. um, and noticed that they, I guess, illuminated in sight already and then turned off before they passed through the sky. Wait, Did you read you that? Mean? No, I'm not sure what you mean by that. Essentially, like the the way that I read it was... They they came 
mm, they did not come over the horizon. They came on. Oh, I see. At a certain point where they had, where they were already in their sight line in the sky, and then the lights themselves turned off before they made it hmm. out of their field of vision from like a horizon perspective or from like any terrain perspective. Oh, I didn't, I did not read that description. Okay. So they see these 20 or 30 lights fly over the yard in a few seconds. And as they're trying to figure out what they had just seen, about three minutes later, they saw a second group of very similar lights pass overhead. And this time they estimated that it was closer to 50 of them. Um, one professor said, quote, we were astonished if I had not had confirming witnesses at the time I'm sure I would have said nothing about what I saw, for it is incredible to believe that they are of terrestrial origin. Mm. So w one of the things I think is valid to call out at this point is uh, the three, four folks who were in the yard for this original August 25th se setting were a, uh, a professor of geology, a professor of chemical engineering, a physics professor, and the head of a petroleum engineering department at Texas Tech. So we're talking about like smart motherfuckers who ha all have very uh, thorough education backgrounds. They are all... If you were putting together a like UFO observer dream team, this would be a pretty good, pretty good team. Edward J. Rupelt, whose book... Uh, the report on un unidentified flying objects. Did we talk Which, about that in last week's episode? Did we bring up the book? I don't think so. I read parts of it this week, though. I did and too. And I'll be citing it as we go through I, here. My, or a lot of the information I'm pulling came from that. Yeah, and actually a lot of the information just about this story specifically came from his first hand. He spends, so, a, spends a whole chapter on it in that he, book. Yeah, so I guess this is probably a good time to say uh, Rupelt was the lead investigator for Project Blue Book. So a lot of the information we have about the Lubbock lights came from him going to Lubbock in September. So, you know, Matter three weeks, to four yeah. weeks after, after the actual initial sighting happened and interviewing people, not just in Texas, but around the area about what had happened. Um, so we'll be citing a lot of his stuff. But the quote from his book is, if a group had been handpicked to observe a UFO, we couldn't have picked a more technically qualified group of people. Oh, there you go. Um, so yeah, just to to echo your sentiment. Yeah, having a physics professor see an unidentified flying object seems like um, a a great bonus. Totally, as an investigator, no doubt. And also to you know, not to get too deep into quickly before we you know go through the whole story, but like one of the things I think we miss a lot in these stories of these sightings is we miss what we feel is like very credible, uh, sober. Uh, observations of these things. And, and last week we talked about it with, um, oh my God, I'm spacing right now. Um, the, the Gorman. The Gorman, thank you. The Gorman dogfight situation where there was multiple pilots and air traffic controllers, people right. who are obviously very sober. Trained and to observe very things trained. exactly like this. Exactly. Um, and I think that's one of the interesting things that makes the Lubbock light so interesting is we're talking about people who are not just like, well, that was weird, but it could be easily explained away as something that's not that weird. They're used to knowing what is and isn't weird. Or at least what is and isn't supposed to be possible. Yes. Well said. Um, so they reported their sighting to the Lubbock Avalanche Journal. Yep. And they ran an article on it. And after their the article ran, uh, lots of other people started reporting having seen similar things. Yes. Um, 
there were th- a group of three women who reported seeing, quote, peculiar flashing lights in the sky on the same night. Uh, two other employees at the technological college, one a professor and one a department head, also reported seeing similar lights on the same night of August 25th. And the professors that uh, had the original sighting spent the next few weeks attempting to recreate their sighting. So they got together multiple times after the 25th. And in the two weeks following, observed the lights at least 10 more times. Yeah, the number I had was they saw them on 12 separate additional occasions. Okay. Which is crazy. In two weeks, so almost every night? Yeah. Or multiple times per night? Right. Oh, yeah, maybe that's what it is. is It was like, because in the first night they saw them... They said they saw them, was it tw- just the twice or was it Twi- three times? It was twice, about three minutes apart. Got it. Okay, so twice, three minutes apart. And then, so yeah, so maybe it was like roughly every other night, twice a night again or whatever. Yeah, I, mean, I don't, don't know. know. But um, but still, like, kind of a lot. Yeah. And in the process of those two weeks, they were not just sitting in the yard drinking tea like they had been the first night. They were doing a lot of scientific calculations if you will they were uh standing certain distances apart with like walkie talkies or something like that and trying Mm. to like designate when something hit a certain uh degree mark in the sky and trying to like determine altitude and speed based on their like observations like they were doing a lot of um what you would imagine PhD level doctors at a school would do to be like, this is fucking weird. Let's try to like learn more about it from a scientific perspective. What information can we get? Yeah. So on September 5th, about whatever that is, 10 days later, uh, the original three observers plus two other professors from Texas technological college were sitting in Dr. Robinson's front yard when they saw the lights again. Uh, This time they got, excuse me, this time they got a slightly better look at them and said, quote, the lights appeared to be about the size of a dinner plate and they were greenish blue, slightly fluorescent. They were smaller than the full moon at the horizon. There were about a dozen to a dozen to 15 of these lights and they were absolutely circular. It gave all of us an extremely eerie feeling. Um, that's the end of the quote. They also estimated that they were about the lights were about two thousand feet high, based on the fact that they were just above a uh, thin cloud layer that they mm. had determined was at two thousand feet. Sure, and they guessed based on that and how long they observed them in the sky for that they were moving at at least six hundred miles per hour. Yep, and um. They moved north to south every time that they saw them. Mm. And also, uh, one of the things they mentioned was that estimate of 2,000 feet and 600 miles an hour. For them to cross the sky in the amount of time that they had crossed it, if they were higher than that, they would have had to have been flying at even faster speeds. Right. So they're like, if we're off by a couple thousand miles, or excuse me, a couple thousand feet, uh, they're going to have to be flying at double that speed, closer to 1,200 miles an yeah. hour to be able to cross the amount of sky in their trajectory for us to be able to see them. I mean... I'd seen the the speed estimated other places at more like 900 miles yeah. per hour. And I think one of the things that's really interesting and also I think super important when we get into what became the official explanations of this is 
And again, this is kind of similar to last week's episode when we were talking about the Gorman dogfight was one of the things that was remarked upon by the professors as well as everyone who saw these. And I think to your point about it happening over two weeks, it was like hundreds of people in the area over yeah. a couple of weeks. Everyone remarked about the speed with which these lights crossed the sky. They were saying, I have it in here, it's like it, it crossed 30, 30 degrees of sky in a second. Okay. So six seconds to go from literal horizon to horizon, which is, I mean, if you think about the actual distance that is. Something would either have to be incredibly close to you or moving incredibly fast. Or a combination or of the two. Yeah. Um, there were also some photographs taken of these lights. Hey, Carl. <laughs> His name's Carl. Carl took yeah. the photos, guys. Is it Carl Hart? Carl Hart. Yeah. A gentleman named Carl Hart took some photographs uh, on the 31st of August. He took five photographs. Um, they're, they're pretty interesting. I'm assuming you've seen them? Yeah. So it's. I think it's worth noting, Carl, uh, well... When when the original report came out, it like you said, it made the newspaper because they were very notable people who said, this is fucked up. We should talk about it. That shit's weird. That shit's weird. Let's talk about it. And they put it out into their local newspaper and in doing so helped other people come forward and say, yeah, no, I saw it too. I thought it was weird. Similar to the guy's quote who was like, if I was chilling in the backyard by myself, I would have been like, well, keeping that one to myself. Right. But when you put it out in the newspaper, other people go, yeah, I no, I saw it too. I mean, as far Which as... Which is... Can be good and bad. Agreed. In that you get more legitimate accounts. Yes. And you also probably get more illegitimate accounts. I totally agree. But... Um, but, you know, like, it, the, the sightings went as far as Albuquerque that came out with people confirming... That one is interesting, just to backtrack a little bit before we talk about these photographs. Yep. Uh, on the same night as the original sighting in Lubbock, there was, so the 25th of August, there was a large flying wing observed flying low over Albuquerque, which is about 300 miles west of Lubbock. Yep. And that was at about 10 o'clock, uh, on the 25th of August. Yep. Um, a report from the 34th air defense at Kirkland air force base said that an employee of the Atomic Energy Commission's super-secret Sandia Corporation, I don't mm -hmm. know what that is or why you'd be putting it in reports if it's super-secret, <laughs> and his wife had seen a UFO. They were sitting in their backyard uh, around dusk. Hmm. This also says 10 p.m. That ain't dusk, though. No. I mean, middle of summer, I guess it may have just... The quote I have from the Rupelt book was, they were gazing at the night sky, commenting on how beautiful it was. Okay. Well, we'll stick with 10 o'clock then. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, this is from that same report. Though. The line before says, around dusk, they were sitting in the backyard of their home, huh. gazing at the night sky, commenting on how beautiful it was. Oh, well, that's not it. That's weird. Anyway, um, they saw what they thought to be an airplane yep. flying very quickly and silently over their home. Uh, it had only been visible for a few seconds, but they got a very good look at it because of how low it was. They estimated only about 800 to 1,000 feet. And they described it as a flying wing. And if you look at the photographs that Carl Hart took, 
It's basically a V shape of lights with like two rows of lights on either side of the V and then coming to a point, yep. obviously, as a V does. Yeah. With about, what, 10 to 12, maybe 15 lights on either either side of this wing? Yeah. It depends on which photo you're looking at, but... Yeah. Yeah. You said 10 to 12 on each side? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I would say that's about right. Yeah. Um, so they, they described this flying wing going about a thousand feet over their house. It wasn't making any sound. Um, they said it was about one and a half times the size of a B-36. I don't know. Yeah, which I'm doesn't not, do anything for me because I don't know what yeah, that size of that maybe thing Maybe that's is. meaningful to people who know about 50s aircraft, but right. that is not me. Um, they used that as a point of reference because that is a plane they had seen flying low over their home frequently being close to the Air Force Base. Right. Um, they couldn't see a color, but they said that they were about on each edge of what they were calling the wings, each edge of this V shape. Yep. They said six to eight pairs, so 12 to um, 16 total yep. glowing blue lights. Now, it's interesting that they call them pairs because Carl's photographs that he took look like pairs of lights. Mm-hmm. Like they look like they are... It's like six to eight sets of two on either side of this V shape. Yes. And we should... So we should we should run back to Carl's photos here to talk about that, what they saw and what Carl saw. Yeah. So Carl's photographs, the point I was trying to make about the, the breadth of the sightings was just that people, because they continued happening, people had their heads up. So people were looking at the night sky, wondering, am I going to see the thing that came out in the paper three to five days ago? And people were successfully continuing to see that because they saw these lights mm-hmm. happening over the city for weeks on end, essentially. Um, so Carl was a freshman at Texas Tech who was laying in his bed, looking out the windows, being like, I wonder if I'll catch a glimpse. I've seen this in the papers. Could be cool. Could be interesting. Yeah. He's looking out his window and one of them flies over and he's like, holy fucking shit. I just saw the fucking UFOs. He grabs his 35 millimeter, runs outside and chills there waiting in sort of prepared motion for to, for seeing them again and proceeds to snap these five photos. I think over, was it like three more passes of them? I think he saw them. I'm not sure. I think it was like three more passes of them that he saw them or maybe two or something like that. But he got multiple photos of the lights uh, in in successive passes after he saw them. And so these are photos you can go see online, but they are. They're very V-shaped. They're very, they, they do appear to be pairs of lights. Uh, some of them are streaky, so it looks like they're blurred, but there are other ones that are less streaky, so that it looks like there's less motion involved, but do appear to show double dots of lights in multiple locations around this sort of boomerang shaped thing. So I, the photos are very interesting and as far as I know, have never been, it's a hard thing to do, but never been proven to be faked or a hoax of some kind. Yes. But it's 51. Yes. And he was apparently shooting 35 millimeter, but I can't imagine you have probably super fast film laying around you're probably shooting like 400 or 800 or something yep it's night yep i'm maybe he had a tripod most likely he's hand holding this camera right it's middle of the night and this thing is apparently moving six to nine hundred miles an hour yep how did he get four clean shots of it well 
so it's a it's a great question and it's a question that others have asked because Carl Carl is a really big character in this story mostly because of the documentation of it everything else is eyewitness reports but in 1951 there wasn't a lot of methods to document things yeah so he um has been a subject of a lot of focus of interviews of focus of um what's his last name edward j rupelt thank you rupelt's conversations um i found an article from 1999 from my fox dfw dallas fort worth i don't know why it came out in 1999 but it was november 7th of 1999 where they actually interviewed carl um where carl says uh you sorry you said he was a freshman in 51 so he's like 18 or 19 he was an 18 year old in 51 so this came out in 99 so 50 years later a while later yeah 68 i think (laughs) i think um but his quote from the article is just grabbed my camera set the exposure at where i wanted it and ran back outside and waited then two okay so two more flights came over i think i got two pictures of one and three of the other hart said when i first processed them i didn't think i had a thing until i really examined them closely because they didn't take up a lot of room on the negative so i think that speaks to what we're seeing is a zoom in on the negative of what it really was. So it was maybe smaller on the negative. I guess I'm saying more like, how is there not extreme motion blur in these photos? Well, there were some, but you've got, you did you see the bad ones? Cause there's many bad ones out there that are from his same set that are like jiggled, like wiggled fucked up ones. I'm just saying if you're trying to photograph something moving that fast at a distance at night, I mean, you can't be shooting faster than like, I don't know, a 60th or a 125th of a second or something. And if that thing's moving at 600 miles an hour, 900 miles an hour, it's going to blur, I would think. So I agree. The fact that you got any that aren't is surprising to me. So let me let me run through something okay. and then posit something about what you're saying. So- one of the things that happened to Carl after, so what he did was he took these photos, he actually sold them to Life Magazine, mm-hmm. who uh, said, yeah, we'll run these. They gave him, I think, like 10 bucks for him, which I guess Sick. maybe at the time was a lot Paid of money-ish. Two semesters of tuition. He may, yeah, maybe. I don't know. Um, uh, he said he also, I guess they were also potentially published in the Avalanche Journal. I don't really know where that is. That's the the paper that ran the original story. Oh, that that's, is That's them. the local okay, Lubbock so paper. He ran them at both then. Um, but he says, uh, I talked to the people at the Avalanche Journal. They were pretty skeptical. Then after they published, first it was the Air Force. And he's talking about the huh? grilling that occurred. Oh, He said, it was pretty intense questioning. They went over and over my story, I guess trying to catch me and being inconsistent, but apparently they were satisfied eventually. So he basically says that he turned over his photos to local Air Force investigators and eventually had to have conversations with FBI agents. Like he, Hmm. he, he sold these for relatively little money and had to deal with a bunch of bullshit. And 50 years later is like, yeah, this just happened. Like, this is what I did. 
I don't know what to tell you guys. He says at the end of this article, again, from this 1999 article, he says, um, uh, got to the point, just as soon pass on it. Something comes up, I'd just as soon ignore it. I guess there's a group of people that still feels anybody who sees a UFO is some kind of nutcase. I get put in that category part of the time. Part of the people think anything like that has to be faked, so I get a little bit of that. It's something that's unsolved. I'd love to know what they were, but after this period of time, I just don't think I ever will. Mm. So he seems like, you know, again, we talked about this before. I lend a lot more credence to people who are not trying to manipulate, not trying to make money, stick by their story. I don't know, my man made 10 bucks off it. hey oh. <laughs> Like got their, you know, got their shit kind of, you know, knocked around a little bit in the process of doing this. He had all those things and just sort of stuck by and was like, this is kind of weird. You know, like it, yeah. it would when you're fucking 70 years old, what do you have to lose to be like, I was a college kid looking to make a quick buck. This is what really happened. Well, you and, know, like, and obviously, like with so many other reports, you know, it wasn't like it was just him fabricating this. Even right. if he was. Even if he faked the photos, there's still a lot of other like interesting aspects to this. Right. And so they would have been tough photos to fake, honestly, too. Consider totally. like the motion blur thing is is interesting because in some ways it makes me skeptical of them in that he managed to get five, four or five cleanish shots. Yeah. But it would also be kind of hard to fake the blurred ones. Yeah. Using the same, I'm assuming, like same settings, and I'm assuming they were on the same roll and stuff. Yeah, completely. So, I, I, yeah, I don't know. They're very interesting. I'm not totally sure what to make out of them, but in the context of everything else, I think it adds adds some weight. It absolutely does. The fact that he was interviewed slash grilled by the Air Force first, I didn't know that, and that's interesting to me. And then Be- the FBI. Yeah, just like the fact that the the Albuquerque sighting happened over an Air Force base. Yes. I was watching a, um, I didn't know this before we started doing something similar, but, um, and now I can't even remember his name. Shit. Richard Dolan. Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's been doing some like live YouTube streams. I've come across a couple of these. Yeah, Going cool. through the cases that have, were covered yep. on or well, that were fictionalized on the Project Blue Book History Channel show. Yep. And so he did a like 30-minute live hangout on YouTube about the Lubbock Lights a few weeks ago. Right. And something that he brought up in that was the fact that Albuquerque and Lubbock are about 300 miles from each other. These lights were seen in Lubbock around 9 o'clock and were seen in Albuquerque sometime between dusk and 10 o'clock. So. Yep. 30 minutes to maybe up to an hour later. Yep. If something were moving roughly northeast to southwest or east to west at about 600 miles an hour, it would take about 30 minutes to get from Lubbock to to Albuquerque. Right. Where someone described seeing essentially the the same same thing thing about half an hour to maybe up to an hour later. Right. Also seen over an Air Force base, photos come out, and the first people to respond to the person who took the photos and seemed to have a lot of investment in whatever was photographed is the Air Force. Another thing that's extremely important and worth noting at this point is that Reese Air Force Base 
is four miles west of Lubbock, Texas. Okay. So if you were flying from Air Force Base to Air Force Base in some sort of top secret or whatever thing... You're still looking at something going six to 900 miles an hour silently in 1951, though. Uh, yes. Com- I completely agree with you. Which is pretty fucking wild. There's another element to this that I want to I touch on that I find really fascinating, which is... I want to go back to Carl for a second. Carl's photos got bought by Life to run in an article that came out in... Uh, nineteen April seventh of nineteen fifty two. Okay, so this was the spring after about eight months later. Yeah, yeah, about eight months later. And the Life article is titled "Have We Visitors from Space?" Mm, have we? The Air have Force. Have we ever? Yes. The Air Force is now ready to concede that many saucer and fireball sightings still defy explanation. Here, life offers some scientific evidence that there is a real case for interplanetary saucers. Hell That's yeah. the lead line on this April 7th, 1952 life I'm article. I'm getting dead on this one. Fuck yeah. <laughs> so they go through incidents, they call them, incident one, incident two, incident three, sure. of UFO sightings, describe what happened, and then they give their life you know, they, they brought in like some scientists and their stuff. hot take, their hot take. They called it their evaluation. And in it, they write about the whole incident and they tell, you know, I'll, I'll read a couple of sense of it just so you get a vibe for it at nine ten PM on August 25th, 1951, Dr. W I Robinson, professor of geology at the Texas tech college stood in his backyard in Lubbock, Texas and chatted with colleagues Blah, 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 blah. He says they gave the impression of 30 luminous beads arranged in a crescent shape. Beads? Is that what you said? They do say beads on okay. here. Um, the scientists were able to judge the lights had moved through 30 degrees of an arc in a second. Uh, a check with the Air Force the next day showed no planes had been over the area at the time. They're, they're basically just doing like a line for line. Here's yep. what happened. Yep. And then their evaluation is here's what we think or, you know. Shiny what, birds. Yep, right. <laughs> Evaluation. The observations have been too numerous and too similar to be doubted. So that goes back to we said, to you know, doubted? That that doubted no- that that nothing happened, I think. I don't think anyone was saying that nothing happened. Well, but that's often like what people say is like it's manufactured or whatever. Okay. In addition, the Air Force, after their closest examination, has found nothing fraudulent about Hart's pictures. The lights are much hmm. too bright to be reflections and therefore bodies containing sources of light. Since Professors Ducker, Oberg, and Robeson, Robinson excuse me, could not measure the size and distance of the formations, they could form no precise estimate of their speed. However, they calculated that if the lights were flying at an altitude of 5,000 feet, they must have been traveling at about 1,800 miles per hour. Oh, this number just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Well, <laughs> we start at 600. You keep, you keep pushing the altitude up, right? And they keep. Yeah. The professors, along with other scientists, agree that in order to explain the silence of the objects, it must be assumed that they were at 50,000 feet in the air, in which case. 50? 50,000 feet in the air, in which case they were going not 1,800, but 18,000 miles per hour. Now, okay, calm down. That's <laughs> right. Now, they're, what they're saying is with our existing technology, what we know an engine to be able to be heard at from a distance, if it were to be silent, it would have to be at that height, which means it would have to be at. Yeah, guess what? We didn't know everything. We didn't know everything. Yeah. 
engines could have been quiet, could have been quieter, could have been at a different distance than you saw, than you thought it was, whatever, whatever. But I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna say it wasn't moving at eighteen thousand miles an hour. I completely agree with you. <laughs> but what I find very fascinating is the Texas Tech professors clapped back and sent a letter to the editors at Life when this article came out. Hell yeah. Have you seen this? Have you no. heard about this? No. Okay. So W.I. Robinson, A.G. Oberg, W.L. Ducker, and E.F. George, the four gentlemen who were in the yard the night of the original sightings. Can I, can I guess what their letter said? Yes. Fuck no. Love, doctors, Oberg, Robinson, whatever their names are. They open it with... Sirs, which <laughs> I which I just find so terrific. Hey, next time you guys uh, email us or DM us or anything, sirs. Yeah, that'd be great. It's the dopest Although, way to say fuck you in a salutation, very politely. We got an email from uh, an Australian lad the other day. Did you see this one where he only referred to us as you legends, legends. for the whole no, you legends? Fucking awesome. Love it. I. Shout out to that cat. And uh, I never know. Sometimes I, I don't know if we should share people's names because sometimes people get mad that we don't. And then sometimes you'll get mad that we you do. You didn't give us permission to share. Whatever. Yeah. You know who you are. You know who you are. And shout out to you. And also, I you love fucking, Australian. Fucking boofhead. You fucking legend. <laughs> You're a legend, not us. I just love that they use that word. It's great. Anyway, the letter says Sirs! As observers of the Olympic Lights, we feel the record requires that we point out that the groups of objects shown in the heart photographs are, in these respects, essentially different from any of the 12 or more groups that we cited. Hmm. Number one. What up, Marcy? Dad Dog Gus Blog. <laughs> that might be the first time we have officially gotten dog barks on the podcast. Dad Dog Gus Blog. Number one. All but three of the groups we cited had no geometric form. What does that mean? Those like a V shape? Like, are they saying the the individual lights did not, or the group of them did not? The group of them did not. Got it. All but three. So all but three of the groups we cited had no geometric form. Those three were smooth arcs but not V-shaped. Like a sort of a boomerang shape? Is that what we're thinking? I think smooth arcs means more, yeah, more arced in nature. I mean, boomerangs still have... Not coming to a point, but like a curve. Boomerangs still have kind of that uh, 90 degree angle to them. It just feels like it rounds off at like a shorter tip. So we're saying like a a segment of a circle or something. Um, Like a half circle almost or a semicircle. Okay. Uh, Number two. Those three could not be conclusively determined to be composed of individual lights, but certainly they were not made up of two distinct rows of alternately spaced lights. So the the pairing images, that's what they're sort of trying Mm -hmm. to counter in this. Number three, none of our sightings was either bright enough nor in view long enough, parentheses, three seconds, to offer any possibility of being photographed. Interesting. Four, even if the lights we saw had been particularly rich in non-visible ultraviolet light, they could not have been photographed without special equipment. Mm-hmm. Number five, 
all of our sightings were close to the same speed of 30 degrees per second, at which speed it would be impossible to follow them with a camera accurately enough to obtain an unblurred image. Signed by the four of them in Lubbock, Texas. Your shit's fake. Well, so or I don't... It's photo. it's a photograph of something different than what we saw. So... What I find fascinating and potentially a hypothesis that I have knocked around since we started researching this is, is it possible that they saw what he saw at a different point in trajectory or a different point in time? Or what if, what if per hour? Yeah, we get it. Go ahead. What if (laughs) some a semblance of airplanes left an air force base migrating in this very specific pattern broke up and then were instructed to fly as fast as possible from here to there. And so what he photographed was them departing the air force base in their very like, you know, regimented, arc or formation their formation of whatever it was but they break up do a 180 and you're just supposed to get to that air force base as fast as possible they hit the gas and they fucking all go boom across the across the city like is it is it possible similarly to what we talked about with the phoenix lights right is it possible that they were seeing two different iterations or two different anomalies that were somehow connected is it possible that the arc... Well, so, the two Phoenix Lights things weren't necessarily connected. They other, weren't necessarily other connected. Other than they were connected because people wanted them or to be connected or thought they were connected. But remember, we got that great listener feedback from someone who said it could have been a regiment of planes that then flew without their lights on and dropped their flares in succession and created the looping lasting arc in one location, but were flying in a winged formation quickly from another location. The speed issue still sticks out for me though, because we're, we're looking at then they were flying significantly slower when they were photographed, but possible, right? You start slow, but then accelerated to a speed at which, no airplane should have been able to fly at that time. At their slowest, we're getting an estimate of 600 miles per hour. Right. But but they're and, but, but they're remarking though. And we have no sound. No sound. Yes. For for a height where you should have 100% been able to hear something. And we have descriptions of them being the size of dinner plates and being perfectly circular like none of that says airplane to me i completely hear you and i completely agree with you i just find it interesting that they looked at those photos and said whatever he documented which to to my gut instinct says is legitimate documentation of something they're like yeah that's weird but we saw something different yeah i guess to me it speaks more to either those photographs are of something different Yes. Or those photographs are not legit in the sense that they are not what, what was the guy's name? I've, Mr. Hart, right? Who's, uh, the, who's the guy who took the photos? Carl Hart. Carl. I was going to call him Corey Hart. But yeah, that's same. Not, that's not right. <laughs> Bret Hart's photos. Bret Hart suplexed an airplane. <laughs> may have been fake. 
Right? I mean, we have to, that has to be a possibility. That for sure has to be a possibility. I just think from everything that I've read and seen, it doesn't, like, they, they went through Air Force inspection. They went through inspection for multiple different newspapers. They went through inspection they're, they're from not exactly, photographers. They're not exactly detailed photos, though. It's basically a totally black no. background with points of light. Yeah. I, I mean, it would be possible to fake that in a way where, like, you're taking an actual photograph of something. You're presenting an actual negative. Yes. But there's really not any detail in those. No, they, they I, could be a whole range of things. I definitely, I, I own that possibility that they could be faked. I just also think there's an interesting possibility that we could be seeing a squadron of something terrestrial or otherwise taking two different shapes at two different locations during two different times in the same relative location. Sure. I, I also think it's possible that they're, they are not the same thing or and not even necessarily connected. I mean, I, sure. we just as humans try and find patterns and category, categories of things. Right. I don't know why I said that that way. That way. Cur- categories. 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 Of, of things that because it's it works better for our brains. But like it could have been two totally different things that were observed around the same time. What if? Because it wasn't like the same night either. It was a week apart. Yeah. What if what Carl saw was the Reese Air Force Base mobilizing a squadron of airplanes to go patrol the area because there had been reports of these yeah, I mean, crazy lights happening? I there mean, are just so many variables and so many unknowns here that like we're purely guessing at that point. Yeah, and in some ways I look at what I just said as being the way more logical thing that what he was able to photograph was a squadron of 1951 fighter jets that were being mobilized because it was hitting the news and maybe they or didn't know for it was any going other on. reason or for any other reason you know training mission whatever because he's near an air force base right where planes fly in and out <laughs> right but then you get into all these you know these sort of interesting again we've talked about many of them but you get into these interesting small elements of this story in this case where it's like you know there wasn't any sound they were continually flying from north to south the same yards saw them multiple different nights in repetition they the north to south thing is weird to me they were illuminated at a certain point flew and then turned off before they left the field of vision they were flying at 30 degrees of sky per second like there's all these really small anecdotes that when you compile them on top of each other don't make no sense don't make no damn sense and then they come from the voice of very legitimate, sober science professionals who intentionally spent time trying to go, what the fuck is going on here? Yeah. I, I have two more things I want to hit, and then we're we're coming up against it here. Okay, um, number one. Number one, on August 26th, there was an interesting, possibly related radar report. Oh. Um, so this was just a few hours after the Lubbock, the first Lubbock sighting on the night of the 25th. So this was early morning, 26th. Yep. Two different, um, radar systems showed a target traveling 900 miles per hour at 13,000 feet on a northwesterly heading. Whoa. The target was observed for six minutes and an F-86 jet interceptor had been scrambled. But by the time the plane had climbed into the air, the target was gone. 
Wow. Um, in the last paragraph of the report, it said that it was apparently, oh, sorry. This is from Ruppelt's, um, book. Yep. Uh, so I'm just going to read it directly. The last paragraph in the report was rather curt and to the point. It was apparently in anticipation of the comments the report would draw. It said that the target was not caused by weather. The officer in charge of the radar station and several members of his crew had been operating radar systems for seven years, and they could recognize a weather target. This target was real. Interesting. So a few hours after the first sighting, we have an unidentified target, two unidentified targets on radar moving at roughly 900 miles per hour. Which, what the fuck flies at 900 miles per hour? So... Even contemporarily, do things fly at 900 miles an hour? This feels like a thing that one of us probably should have looked up before we started recording this. That's You're absolutely right. I don't know the answer to that. And you can definitely hit the, those guys are dumb <laughs> fucking button. Well, in this case, we're just uninformed, which is like a slightly different version of dumb. We've also had multiple people who are listeners of the show be like, I work in the military or I work in aviation. Or, you know, it's fine. It's fine. The speed of sound yes. is 767 miles per hour. So we we are definitely able to break that barrier. So we're at, well, yeah. When, though? When were when did we first break the sound barrier? Mm-hmm. Couldn't tell you. Like, planes in the 50s, I got to imagine weren't, if, if any were, we're capable. Not like that. If any were capable of hitting 900 miles an hour, it would have been very rare. True. Right? True. Hey Siri, how fast do the fastest planes fly? What is I'm gonna say my Google's out loud because that's how we do it here. What is the mm, I misspelled the <laughs> typing with Killing one hand. It. Sorry guys. What is the fastest mammal? That sounds interesting. <laughs> fastest we'll get there. plane in the world, sure. Yeah, thanks, Google. Uh shit. <laughs> this calls for a those two are fucking dumb. Facts. The fastest plane in the world since 1976 is the SR-71 Blackbird. Uh-huh. Which can hit up to 2,200 miles per hour. Jesus. When was that invented? 76. All right. So very possible that something was going 900 plus in 51. Yeah, because you're talking about half that 20 years earlier. Yeah. Yeah. All right. But- we still have the at 2,000 feet without making any sound bit. Right. Right. But, yeah. Um, okay. So the the weird radar thing, the last thing I wanted to hit is the official explanation and then also Ruppelt's explanation. Yeah. Both of so, which fucking suck. Yeah, for different <laughs> reasons. For different reasons. The official explanation, or I don't know where this came from, but the plover explanation. Yeah, I don't... And if you're not familiar, which I was not, a plover is a type of bird. And the idea that was put forward is that these lights that people were seeing were reflections of newly installed street lights off of the bellies of migrating birds. Which, to me, is like the laziest fucking... It just seems ridiculous. It does. Um, first of all, I don't know of any birds that are that reflective. 
I don't know of any birds that can travel at 900 miles per hour. I mean, name the fastest flying bird, and you're not even getting to a tenth of what we're talking about here. Uh, there are those one falcons that dive at like 200 something. But I'm Par- talking about Peregrine, like, the, the Pellegrino falcons. Pellegrino. <laughs> Aren't they at like two something? Uh, but I'm talking like crossing the sky in perpetual motion. You're not going to get, you're not how, getting a fucking. Hey Siri, how fast is a plover? Not that fast. No. Not not 900 miles per hour fast. That explanation doesn't make any sense to me. No, it's it's almost like it's almost embarrassing. Like it's like come, At, okay. Do come you on. know where that explanation originated? I couldn't find the first instance of it. I. I can't find the first instance of it. I also saw it referenced. I thought it might have come up in the Air Force report when the so, Air Force was trying to investigate it. I thought it originally came from, or I guess I assumed it came from the Blue Book yeah. investigation, but yeah. Ruppelt came to a different conclusion or non-conclusion. Yeah. I, Are you going to read his quote? I think I have it directly, yeah. I have it too if you don't yeah, have yeah, it. Yeah, no, I, I got it. Um, Ruppelt said in his summary... Quote, personally, I thought that the professor's lights might have been some sort of bird reflecting the light from the mercury vapor streetlights, but I was wrong. They weren't birds, they weren't refracted light, but they weren't spaceships. The lights that the professor saw, I hate that he says it that way, because it was so many more people than that. Right. The lights that the professor saw, the backbone of the Lubbock Lights series, have been positively identified as a very commonplace and easily explainable natural phenomenon. It is very unfortunate that I can't do it. Heck! Go ahead. It is very unfortunate that I can't divulge exactly the way the answer was found because it is an interesting story of how a scientist set up complete instrumentation, whatever the fuck that means. To track down the lights and how he spent several months testing theory after theory until he finally hit upon the answer. Boo! <laughs> That's well, lame boy. I don't telling, know. Telling the story would lead to his identity, and in exchange for his story, I promised the man complete anon- anonymity. Anonymity. Nope. Anonymity. <laughs> but he fully convinced me, hey man, I didn't write it, okay? I'm just reading no. what Rupelt said. <laughs> <laughs> but he fully convinced me that he had the answer, and after having heard hundreds of explanations of UFOs, I don't convince easily. Fire this man immediately. What the fuck is that Arf. conclusion? Dude, I need a combination right now of Riley from the Boondocks' boo <laughs> and just a fart sound effect. Because that guess is... What, guess what? Guess what happened? That, Who knows? That to Something. Me, that to me literally detracts from the vast majority of yeah. I don't trust any of the credibility book shit that, that Rupelt has ever had because yeah. it's like you're gonna tell me that this is a normal natural thing, but I can't tell you about it because the person who told me will get in trouble. What the fuck is that? That doesn't make any sense. That's not doesn't make any sense. It does. It makes no sense. It's phrased weirdly and poorly. He said it, an- anonymity. It's what just an asshole. It's just absurd. It, it's patently absurd to say, I know the answer, but I can't tell you. It's, but it's totally normal. But it's totally normal. But this guy would lose nothing his job. Nothing to see. Nothing to see. <laughs> Seriously. Like, fuck off, man. Ugh. I want to know what, like. Love is. If you're going to, I want to know what love. What is your, like, what's your gut say? Weird Air Force shit. That's what mine says too. Mine yeah. says if you got Reese Air Force Base four miles away and you've got an Air Force Base in Albuquerque, it's, we're it's flying within missions. the realm of possibility of aircraft. 
But, you have the Air Force being very invested in like questioning the guy who took some photographs of whatever it is. Yep. But there are very weird anomalies that we can't even account for in our contemporary technology, which is what always confuses me about some of these things. Yeah, it's still weird. I'm not saying that that completely answers it, but no, that gets closer than any of the other explanations for me. Completely agree with you. I'm just Which like... where we always land, it I, feels like. For sure. Like, I'm on board with the possibility, but then I go 2,000 feet up, and you're not making a sound, and you're flying and you're the size at, of a dinner plate? Yeah, and you're flying at a minimum of 900 miles an hour and a maximum of 1,800. Also, yep. sometimes it's a boomerang, sometimes it's a cluster, have sometimes we had, it's... Have we had drones since 51? I mean, Maybe. Maybe this was Amazon practicing their delivery runs 50 fucking years ago. I mean, I, yeah, you never know like how far advanced military tech actually is because we we'll just never don't know because we just don't know. Somebody whistle blow. If you want to blow a whistle and tell us some crazy shit, blow the whistle, blow the whistle by leaving us a voicemail at 612-246-4614. If you want to blow the whistle with an email and send us some crazy encrypted government documents, hi at whatifpodcast.com. If you want to cop merch, we got shirts and fucking mugs and fucking posters and robot grandma hoodies at shop.whatifpodcast.com. If you want us to shout you out on the show and your cool shit and your blog and your friend's birthday and your... Uh, fucking Uncle's one joke, year sobriety. Whatever it is, uh, you could do that by going to whatifpodcast.com slash shout out, uh, and we'll do that too. Um, We're running out of beat. Hurry up. All right. We'll let the beat ride. <laughs> we appreciate you guys for supporting the show. Thank y'all so much for listening. As always, we will see you next week. <laughs>